What's up, LifePoint Church? How you doing this morning? Man, I'm so excited to be in church this morning. I want to just take a moment, as Pastor Christian just said, to welcome all of you that are joining us online. Huge shout out to Pastor Eric in South Africa. That's one of our LifePoint missionaries. And I just wanted to, I told him I was going to do it. I was going to give him a huge shout out. We have so many people, as Pastor Christian said, watching all over our nation and the world. And we really appreciate you being a part of LifePoint Church. And as Pastor Christian just said, it's great if you would text LPC to 31996 and we'll respond with some simple next steps and we are just so excited to get you connected here at LifePoint Church. Well, my name is Bo Jensen, and I am one of our uh, pastors here on staff at LifePoint. And I just wanted to take a moment to let you know how your generosity is making a difference here at LifePoint. Uh, many of you know that we do this every year. We have an annual bags by the bumper. We did this two weeks ago. We do this every year just before Thanksgiving. It's where we, you know, you go out, you get supplies, and then we resource people in our community with those supplies. And specifically, we partnered with Yapax Outreach. And if you're unaware what they do, they go out in our community and they reach the people that are hurting, that are homeless, and they resource them for life change. And so, I'm excited to announce that your generosity allowed us to have the biggest bags by the bumper LifePoint has ever had. So huge shout out to you, LifePoint. In addition to that, you gave $4,000 that went straight to Yapax to help them accomplish their mission as well. So praise God for all that you are doing this um, at this church with your generosity. I want to give another shout out and I'll let you know how your giving is making a difference outside of Clarksville, Tennessee. And that's specifically the shout out to our East Valley Dream Center in Chandler, Arizona. Now, mo most of you know that people move to Clarksville because of the military. They're here for about three years and they have to move again. And we had one specific family that had to move back home to Arizona and they contacted me. They wanted to still be a part of LifePoint, but they wanted to have that interaction, that one-on-one that -on -one interaction. And so they were able to connect with LifePoint because the East Valley Dream Center live streams our services every Sunday. And because of what Danny and Giovanni have done and all the volunteers at the East Valley Dream Center, this family is now staying connected to LifePoint. So can we show the East Valley Dream Center some love this morning, LifePoint? Thank you for all that you're doing. I personally can't wait to come out there and eat some tacos with you guys. So can I pray? Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for what you're doing here locally in Clarksville, Tennessee, that you're using organizations like Yay Packs to make a difference in our community, and that you're also doing the same thing in Chandler, Arizona, and that this family was able to stay connected with LifePoint even when they were dreading a move. And God, we just are so grateful and thankful that what you've done in our lives, that you've made a difference in our lives, and that's why we give generously back to you. God, I'm asking that you would be with this message today as well, and that you would use me to communicate your word in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Have you ever believed something, but you later found out 
It was completely made up. It was either a myth, an old wives' tale, a joke, or simply just a flat-out lie. Well, the worst part is, is when your parents are involved, they tell you these things in life and you believe them for a short period of time in your life. And then this perpetual cycle happens. You say the same things to your kids. Let me give you an example. I have heard one or both of my parents say things like this. If you eat that spinach, you'll grow up and be strong like Popeye. (laughs) I'm dating myself a little bit, but how about this one? It tastes like chicken, just eat it. (laughs) I know I've used that on my kids. Just dip it in some ketchup, you'll be good. Now my mother used to tell this to my brother and I, if you get hurt, we do not have time to go to the hospital. (laughs) My mom also used to say this one, you will not have a calculator with you everywhere you go. She was wrong on that one. I remind her often, she's a retired educator, math teacher to be exact. And I'm like, hey, mom, I got a calculator. How about these? Watching too close to the TV will cause you to go blind. If you cross your eyes, they will get stuck. If you crack your knuckles, you'll get arthritis. Bubble gum takes seven years to digest. If you swallow a watermelon seed, you'll grow a watermelon in your belly. You've also probably heard this. Lightning doesn't strike the same place twice. That is actually simply untrue. Matter of fact, the Empire State Building gets struck by lightning 25 times a year annually. And here's the thing. Speaking of lightning striking the same place twice and coming back for some more, there's a guy named Roy Sullivan. This dude has been struck by lightning not once, not twice, but seven times. And he survived. Now, here's my question. What did Roy do? (laughs) And if you're Roy's friend and a storm comes, you're like, get away from Roy. (laughs) You know, as Christians, sometimes we believe things that are true about our faith that are simply incorrect. For example, some people believe these statements are actually found in the Bible. However, they're not. They may be, there's some truth to them, some half-truths to them, but they're actually not in the Bible. How about this one? Cleanliness is next to godliness. Partly true, just not in the Bible. God works in mysterious ways. Money is the root of all evil. Believe it or not, that's not in the Bible. God helps those who help themselves. God won't give you anything that you can't handle. And you know, I know it's Christmas time, so I thought I would let you know on a little myth that a lot of us believe, but Jesus wasn't born on December the 25th, y'all. Spoiler alert. Also, when the wise men went to go see Jesus, he actually wasn't in a manger. When the wise men arrived, he most likely was about two years old, and there weren't three wise men, or the Bible doesn't get specific how many wise men there were. And lastly, I want to let you know that Xmas isn't an attempt to get rid of Christ or remove Christ from Christmas. 
Believe it or not, this actually, the X was arrived or they got this term Xmas from the Greek word Christ. It began with the letter X. And this has been in use for a thousand years. It dates back all the way to the year 1021. So it's not a modern secular invention of dropping the term Christ from Christmas. It's actually been in use for a long, long time. So as we continue with our Acts series, could it be that we have some misperceptions of God, the church, and even certain people? Whether it's from how we are raised or our experiences, we have formed and we have adopted certain opinions and beliefs that may or may not be correct. And as we continue again with this series, you're going to be introduced to two people whose worlds are really far apart. Their beliefs, their experiences, how they were raised. And one of them you may or may not have heard before. His name is Cornelius. The other one is the Apostle Peter. Yes, Peter, who's reached thousands of people for Jesus earlier in Acts chapter, or yeah, Acts chapter 1 and 2. And, and in just a moment, you're going to hear more about Cornelius. But think about this. Peter, you're going to discover today that Peter has this revelation in Acts chapter 10. That he has a complete misperception of who God is, who he loves, and who he wants to reach. Com Peter was completely wrong about his culture, his religion, and especially how God viewed people. And you're going to see where God corrects him in a very unusual way for our modern context. But I'm going to hope, or my hope is, to make it make sense today. So I've entitled today's message this. I've entitled it, God's Heart for All People. And the first thought that I have as we go through the first eight verses is this. God's heart or the heart of God is really big. Now, let's, let's jump in here. Verse 1 says, at Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known of the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household and gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. Now, I got to have to have a moment to kind of nerd out for a second, okay? I need to give you some historical context to help you make sense of what's going to happen in today's message. So let me give you some context about Caesarea. Caesarea is the capital city for the Roman Empire in its occupation of Israel. It's a military town. It's a city that was built by Herod the Great. And he renamed the city to um, honor and dedicate this city to the emperor Caesar Augustus. And in addition to that, the Romans built this city and the Romans back then, they did, they did everything with excellence. So the city is beautiful. It's a coastal town. They built this nice jetty and harbor. It's beautiful. And Rome decides we're going to move the capital, our capital in Israel from Jerusalem to Caesarea. And all Roman governors will then be housed there. And Jews did not like Caesarea. 
they avoided going to Caesarea. Everything about the city was a reminder that the Romans were their oppressors. And in addition to the fact that they served and worshipped multiple gods, false gods. And the ancient Jews nicknamed this city Edom, which simply just means the place of the ungodly. And this is where Cornelius is. He's an officer. He is probably assigned to a Caesarea, and he's in charge of about 100 soldiers. He's paid five times more than the regular Roman soldier. And so needless to say, this dude has wealth. He has status. He has authority. But you're going to notice as we move through this message, something was missing in his life. And the writer of Acts describes Cornelius as a devout man. He has apparently abandoned the Roman gods in favor of the Jewish God because he demonstrates this devotion to the Jewish God through his prayer and through his generosity. Now, the phrase fear of God or God fear is something that Jews would use to to label people that have align themselves with their covenant and their belief system, just not fully. So Cornelius is most likely following the Ten Commandments. He's going to the temple. He's praying. He's giving. But he's not been circumcised. Probably for obvious reasons. Because he's like a 30-year-old man and it would hurt. Some of you are like, did he just say that in church? Yes. See, to be a Jew, you had to be circumcised. Also, Jews had a very strict diet. They had these laws about what they could eat. And things would be considered or certain foods would be considered clean or unclean. And so him, he probably still ate bacon, just just keeping it real. Because Jews, they didn't eat bacon. And for a second, can you imagine never eating bacon ever in your life? I'm just so glad that I was born in America, come on somebody, and that I could have some eggs and bacon. Just nothing like it. I'm just, it's just not a complete breakfast without bacon. I even get like hangry when I'm like, where's the bacon at? Anyway, sorry. Again, going back to the historical context, for Cornelius to be a officer and a Roman that's following the Jewish God, this is really odd. He's probably one of very few Romans that have abandoned their gods in favor of a God from an enemy that they had conquered. And so what happens, though, in Cornelius's life is he's not fully converted to being a Jew, and he's not a Christian either. But his good deeds apparently get God's attention. Check this out. It says in the ninth hour, this is actually about three o'clock, he sees a vision of an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? Now let's pause for a second. If an angel comes and visits me, my first reaction would be terror. My second reaction or what I would say is not, what is it, Lord? I'd probably say something that I'd have to ask for forgiveness for later. Let's just be transparent and real for a second. Some of you are like, pastor. And some of you are like, I know that's right, pastor. Me too, me too. (laughs) And he said to him, your prayers and your alms 
have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa, which is about 30 minutes or 30 miles south of Caesarea, and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He's lodging with Simon, a tanner. A tanner uh, is someone that tans hides. He's staying there, whose house is by the sea. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having relayed everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Now, my first thought after reading this is this. This interaction that Cornelius has with the angel is people are looking for something. People want to be good. Maybe not all people, but most people are looking to be good. And the reality is that God is active in our lives even when we're unaware. He's setting things in motion to reach us. And you're going to see as we move through this message that he uses others to reach us. And sometimes it's people that we really may even have a problem with. We see the heart of God right here in this moment. We are seeing God's plan in motion to reach Cornelius, to introduce him to Jesus. And spoiler alert, he's going to use Peter to do so. But first, he's got to send for men to go to Joppa because Peter is staying in a really nice Airbnb off the coast there. Before we continue, I want you to notice something about Cornelius' belief system. I'm going to make some bold statements here. It's similar to our modern philosophy. doesn't really matter what you believe, but as long as you believe and you do it with sincerity, then you're good to go with whatever deity and God you believe in. And our culture is okay with telling you, let people believe whatever they want. And I just want to really clearly say this. Your sincere belief in something doesn't make it a complete truth. Remember, people used to think the earth was flat. So just because you b- believe it doesn't mean it makes it true. And God is preparing Cornelius to hear the complete truth and take his next step in his faith journey. His sincerity and his good deeds got God's out attention However, they were incomplete. And likewise, our sincerity, our good deeds are incomplete without faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, that's why God is setting this up for Peter to tell Cornelius about Jesus. Now, as we continue, you're going to see that God's invitation is for everyone. Now, I'm going to pause for just a second. What's amazing to me in this text is this, that God is inviting everyone, but Peter thinks that Jesus came for just the Jews. And Peter is about to have this vision that I forewarned you about is a little weird, again, for our modern context, but you're going to see that God is setting him up again to go talk to Cornelius. And in my opinion, I think you're going to see God do something amazing. But before we do that, we got to talk about this weird vision that Peter got. It says the next day, as they were on their journey, this is the men that are approaching and going to to, um, tell Peter, hey, to come back to Caesarea. Peter went up to the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. Now, this sixth hour is about noon. It's lunchtime. So he became hungry. 
and he wanted something to eat, but while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. Now, don't get hung up on that word trance. It just simply means he had a vision, okay? So Peter gets this vision. He's in prayer. It's noon. It's lunchtime. They're preparing lunch. He's up top praying, and he gets this vision, and I want you to notice that there's similarities in Cornelius and Peter's visions. They're both in prayer, and as they're doing a spiritual discipline in their life, God shows up supernaturally. And I really believe that God does the same thing in our lives. If we will devote ourselves to spiritual disciplines, we're inviting God to do something supernatural in our life. Now, you may not have an angel show up, and you may not have a vision, but you'll have God reveal things to you that in your life you may need to change. And this is what's happening in their lives. So let's continue. Let's talk about this weird vision that Peter's about to get. It says he saw the heavens open, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from the four corners of the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times and the thing was taken up at once. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had just seen might mean. Now, let's pause for a second. Now, you got to think through this for a second. Have you ever been so hungry that you have visions of food? Have you ever been so hungry like, or you've been on a diet and everything you think of is the one thing that you can't eat? Or the commercial that comes on as you're watching the Minnesota Vikings beat the Green Bay Packers is a vision of the food that you desire. This is what Peter's trying to figure out. Am I just like overly hungry right now? And is this from God? I don't know what's exactly transpiring right now. And it's before he can really continue, it says, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius having made inquiry for Simon's house stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon was called Peter was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I'm the one you are looking for. What's the reason for your coming? You got to understand, Peter is a Jew and these Romans have come during lunch. And he's like, what's the reason for your coming? And they said Cornelius, a centurion of an upright, God-fearing man who's well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house, which is in Caesarea, to hear what you have to say. Now, Peter invited them in to be his guest. This is profound right here. He's invited the Romans who he never shares food with. It's lunchtime. Again, you got to think, Romans are Jews' oppressors. And he invites them in during lunch, and the next day he goes with them to Joppa. Now, this is powerful what's just transpired. It's an invitation 
for Peter to go tell Cornelius about Jesus. But we first must address why in the world was God giving this vision to Peter? It's because Peter had become very racially and religiously prejudiced. And God is giving him this vision to illustrate to him that he's become this way. It's less about Peter's diet and it's more about Peter's heart. Again, it's less about the diet and it's more about his heart. God got so specific that he commands Peter to eat this food and he's completely disgusted by the command because he knows that if he is to participate in eating this, that he's going to have to probably be around people that eat similar types of food like this. And again, Jews and Romans didn't share meals together. So he knows if he does this, he's got to share a meal with somebody that he's never done before. And here's the thing. We all share meals, invite people over to our home, typically to the people that we like. Except maybe during Thanksgiving, if it's family that you don't like. But you typically are inviting people over to your home that you like, that you're friends with. It's a sign of friendship. And it's the same in ancient culture as well. Peter would never invite a Roman over for dinner. And right now, God has spoken to him and he's invited them into his home. God is getting to the heart of the fact that everyone is invited to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And again, he uses this imagery of unclean animals to say to Peter, look, Gentiles, those who are not Jewish, are actually welcome to the faith. He believes that it's exclusive. And God is going, this is the invitation for everyone. It's inclusive. It's inclusive When you accept Jesus Christ as Lord and as Savior, when we invite Jesus into our life, we're saying, Jesus, I want you to guide my life, direct my life. And that's why Peter has a relationship with Jesus. So that's how God's able to speak to him. And Cornelius has somewhat somewhat of a relationship with God. And he's trying to do these things. He's trying to do these good deeds to get to God. And God is trying to tell him, hey, you don't have to always do these good things to get in right stand with me because I I worked real hard to get to you. See, Jesus did all the heavy lifting when he died on the cross for all of us. Our righteousness is worth nothing compared to his righteousness. He did everything. He did all the heavy lifting. And so they're sharing this meal. He goes to um, Caesarea the very next day, and he's having a meal with his oppressor. And it leads me to ask these questions to you, to all of us, even myself. Who are the people group that you would struggle with sharing a meal with? Who's the people group that you would struggle with sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with? Do you struggle with inviting them to be a part of God's family? Let me ask it a different way. Let me ask it a different way. Who's the people group or the groups of people that when you think about them, you instantly have negative emotions and thoughts? You may even make statements like, well, I'm not prejudiced, but. 
which is a sign that you're prejudiced. I mean, I'm just going to keep it real, okay? Is that okay? Yes, pastor, it is. Even if it's not, I'm still going to say it because it's the truth. It's the truth. And, and can I just say, sometimes we joke with stereotypes and we think they're funny, but oftentimes they hurt the very people that we're making the jokes with. And we're unaware and they laugh at it. They, they'll chuckle at it. But deep down inside, it hurts. So we have to be aware of the things that we're saying. And again, everybody's invited to this party. Everybody's invited to have Jesus radically change their lives. I got so convicted of this because when I went to Mexico on a mission trip, when I came back, I'm walking down the road with my family and I look over at my Latino neighbors that I have rarely had any interaction with. And I felt like God was like, you're so willing to go to Mexico to reach people and do good things, but there's people that live in your community that you're failing to interact with. What are the reasons for your distance? And so I immediately was like, all right. I went over there. I started interacting with them. And I, I wonder how often we're missing out on authentic relationships with people that don't look like us, act like us, believe like us. And look, we have to, as Christians, befriend people without the, because sometimes people think that we're like their pet project to convert. Why don't you just befriend them to befriend them without trying to convert them? Allow the relationship to flow organically instead of telling them like, if you don't turn, you're going to burn. I mean, <laughs> or if you say things like, well, you're going to go to hell if you don't get Jesus. You know what they're going to do? They're going to tell you to go to hell, okay? That's what they're going to tell you. Again, God loves all people, and that's not the end of the story, and that's why we see in this third point that our heart should match God's heart. Our heart should match God's heart. Peter gets a revelation that his heart doesn't match God. I want to take just a few more minutes to go through the last part of this. It says, the following day, they go to Caesarea. Cornelius is expecting them. He's called together his relatives, his close friends, and Peter enters. You've got to think about this. The Romans were responsible for crucifixion. And Peter's master was crucified by Roman crucifixion. And he's now with the officer in the Roman Empire. And Peter entered. And he falls down, Cornelius does, and starts worshiping Peter. This is a man of honor. This is a man of authority. This is a man that most likely would never do something like this. And he's worshiping Peter. And then Peter's like, bro, stand up, bro. I'm a man too. This is how we know God's changed his heart. And he talks with him and he went in and he found many persons gathered. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. So let me ask you, why have you sent for me? Here's another thought that I had. I went to Rome a couple of years ago, 2019, and all over Rome, 
is statues of Peter. They took down statues of Caesars and then they put Peter and Paul's up there too. I wonder if Peter had not gone. Now, the Bible doesn't say this. This is just my own thoughts. I wonder if Peter had not gone to Cornelius, would Rome have the Christian influence that had had if Peter hadn't went? If Peter would have said, nah, that's my oppressor. I'm not going there. But he didn't. And it's because God showed him differently. Peter's belief system told him to see people a certain way, but God showed him different. Peter had a mindset towards certain people, but God showed him different. And when Peter had a revelation of the heart of God, it changed the way he saw people. And notice Peter explains his identity first as a Jew. He's like, my identity is a Jew, and you know as a Jew, I'm not supposed to be associating with you. And here's the thing. A lot of times we filter things through our identity first. And we should filter everything as Christians as being a Christ follower first. I had a failed attempt at one time in my life to be a rapper. And then God showed me different. But I had a show in Nashville at a club, and the club was packed out, y'all. It was, it was pretty dope. And needless to say, that was probably my last show. But I had this show, and I got invited by um, a group that was, I was going to open up for them. And their lyrics may or may not honor God, but I was excited nonetheless to open up for them. And, and I remember, I was like, when I go out on the stage... I'm going to let everybody know that I'm a Christian, that I love Jesus, and that my lyrics are going to point you to Jesus. And so I go up on the stage and I'm like, yo, because that's what rappers do. (laughs) I said, I'm a Christian. I represent Jesus. And I want you to know that all my lyrics are going to point you to Jesus. And everybody in the crowd is like this right here. Except three girls at the very front who were like, praise God, okay. And I was really encouraged by that. (laughs) Then the beat dropped and everybody forgot what I just said. But nevertheless, we should filter everything. I'm not a rapper first. I'm not an American first. I'm not a Republican, Democrat, vaccinated, unvaccinated first. I'm a Christian first. My identity is found and it's rooted in what Jesus did for me over 2,000 years ago. So I filter everything through that lens first. And look, our culture tells us to cancel people whom we disagree with. Hey, don't associate with them. Because you have personal preferences and differences. And as a result, what we do, sometimes unintentionally, is we'll cancel people based on their career, based on their sexual preferences. We'll cancel people for a list of things. And then each side of the aisle accuses people of being a part of the cancel culture. And here's the thing about cancel culture. When you cancel people, it's the complete opposite of welcoming people. And forgiving people. 
and the overall ethic of Christianity is that Jesus forgave you. And our world is constantly trying to push agenda that divides us instead of uniting us. And the truth of God's heart most o- must override what makes us different. Again, I said this earlier, but to have the heart of God means that it overrides everything that divides us. Some of my best friends were raised completely differently than I was. And again, I wonder how often we're missing out on authentic relationships in the process. We have a great couple that serves in our kids' ministry, and uh, it's, their names are Afir and Christina. They came to LifePoint a couple years ago, and Afir grew up in a Muslim family, and his family is from Iraq. He came here, he gave his life to Jesus, he was baptized here, and now he serves on our dream team. It's a phenomenal, amazing story, and there's actually multiple stories like this one here at LifePoint. But there's also a soldier, a former soldier, a veteran, who serves in KidPoint as well. Two weeks ago, he told me this. He said, God works in mysterious ways. He said, man, how ironic is it that God would change my life, that I'm serving in kids ministry alongside a former Iraqi Muslim. I know God's changed my life because a couple of years ago, that would have been impossible. But God has spoken to me and he showed me that my heart doesn't match his heart. So as we conclude today's message, I want to go back to the beginning of the message and I want to ask you, what are some misconceptions that you've bought into about God, Jesus, and others? Could it be that God's trying to get your attention through this ancient story of a vision that's honestly weird in our context? Are you like Cornelius who have done good deeds, you pray to God, but you really don't have a relationship with Jesus? Are you like Peter who knows Jesus, but his love for others is conditional? What mindset are you carrying that's incomplete, that you need God to complete? Will you commit to God's plan for your life? I want to invite you to pray with me in just a second. I'm going to pray kind of two different types of prayers, and you can repeat it after me. One is kind of this like all-in prayer, like I'm going to take my next step. I'm going to accept Jesus as Savior. He's my Lord. I believe that he died on the cross for my sin. And the other one is going to be a prayer so we ask God to change our hearts, to give him our heart as we interact with other people in our community, our neighbors, our family, people that don't believe like us, look like us. Are you with me? Hey, would you go ahead and stand up to your feet? Why don't we do this? Just, this is very symbolic, but it's just, why don't we raise up our hands to God? Repeat this prayer after me. God, I believe that Jesus is Lord, that you died so I can live. I confess my sin. I repent. I turn to you. Now fill me with your spirit. 
direct me by your word, I'm all in. Now, God, I invite you, show me a different way. Show me how I should treat people and give me the courage to serve and reach others that don't look like me or believe like me. In Jesus' name, amen.